One of the reasons why today is so special for us isn't just because it's gathering number two on a Sunday morning, but because we're starting a new series, okay? So this is like the the trifecta of being new, okay? This is the perfect time to be new. Everybody's new, okay? Uh, We're starting a new series. It's a really kind of especially cool season as a church. But this new series, we're calling it Jesus Is, We're going to be going through all these attributes, all these characteristics that the scriptures tell us that Jesus is, and not the entirety of scripture necessarily. We're going to be going in and focusing in on the gospel of John. The gospel of John is a rich and beautiful book. And the reason that we're going through the gospel of John is because it's all about Jesus. Like the whole thing, every line, all of scripture is about Jesus, if you didn't know. From, from the Old Testament all the way through to Revelation at the end of the New Testament, everything, the entire bulk of Scripture, Jesus is the central figure of the entire Bible, okay? And not only is he the central figure of the entire Bible, but he's the central figure of human history. Regardless of whether or not you call yourself a Christian or you believe in God, Jesus is the center of all of human history. If you don't believe me, look at the calendar. Like, what year is it? 2018. Thank you, Colton. How do we know it's 2018? Because it was set up on the, on the life of Jesus. The calendar is centered on Jesus. Everything is centered on Jesus. He's the most important. He's the center figure of all of human history. So for the next several weeks, for the next several months, we're really going to be like, we're going to be putting Jesus front and center. As we establish this infant church, this church plant, that's one of the major things that we want to see happen. It's so easy for the church, the people of God, to go, yeah, Jesus is great, he's wonderful, it's cool, now teach me how to live. We want to be taught how to live, but the only way we're going to do that with healthy motivation, with selfless motivation and not selfish motivation, is to have Jesus be put front and center so that we can see him clearly. We want to make Jesus front and center, especially in this season of church planting. So, uh, go ahead and turn to your Bibles to John chapter 20. It's at the end of the Gospel of John. You might be asking yourself why, if we're starting a series, are we starting at the end? I'll tell you in just a second. And while you are flipping there, um, how many of you guys have heard of MoviePass? Raise your hand high. So, so, okay, so like half the room. If you don't know what MoviePass is, it's like the worst business model I've ever seen in my entire life. <clears throat> okay, MoviePass is this, it's basically like a subscription for the movie theater. Like think like Netflix, unlimited, you know, watching, but for the movie theater. So you get to see a maximum of one movie per day, but you can go every day in the month and it's like $10. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know. You can explain it to me after the gathering if you understand how this is going to make them money, (laughs) but I have no idea. Movie pass is gnarly because, again, you can see as many movies as you want for $10 at the movie theater. I don't know about you. I have young kids. Me and my wife, we never, we haven't gone to the movies in like six years because we have young kids. But we got movie pass recently, and we're like, this is cheaper for us. I mean, one ticket at the movie theater is 12, 15 bucks. So for $10 a month, we could, it, we save money like instantly. Like if we go to one movie, right? It pays for itself. But one of the things that I got reminded of as we started kind of going back to the movies, we've been a few times since we got movie pass. One of the things that I started kind of remembering about myself is how judgmental I am when I watch the previews. Like when I watch previews of movies, I'll sit there next to my wife. And I'll be watching the preview, and if it's compelling, if the acting looks good, if there's a cast that I'm, like, intrigued by, I'm like, oh, babe, we've got to see that one. 
And if the, if the trailer looks like kind of ho-hum, I just like tune out and I just kind of afterwards I look over at my wife and I'm like, dude, no chance we're going to see that. I don't want to see this one. I judge the movie by the trailer all the time, okay? Because <clears throat> here's the thing about movie trailers. A good movie trailer, what it does, it invites the viewer into the story. Like it's this, it's this cool opportunity for, for you to be invited into the story. And what it does is a good movie trailer, it gets you interested enough in the story to go then see the movie, to shell out your hard-earned money and go back to the theater to see that movie. Today, today is going to kind of operate very much like a movie trailer, okay? A movie trailer for this series, Jesus Is. And my goal today really is just to help you and I see that what we're going to cover over the next coming months and weeks actually matters, It's not just obligatory, cool, we'll go to the church gathering because it's Sunday morning, we should be in church, but there's actually more here. There's more incentive, okay? It actually matters that this series is worth tuning into. It's worth coming back. It's worth engaging in. It matters enough for you to give your attention to it and even to look forward to it in the weeks to come, okay? Does that make sense? Today's gonna kind of be like a movie trailer. So, that being said, before I jump into the scriptures, I'm going to pray. I know I pray a lot, but I think it's a good thing. Will you join me in prayer? Um, Father in heaven, thank you again for this morning. Um, I just feel compelled to say thank you for the Bible. Like, thank you that we have this incredible gift. Um, it's not really written to us, but it's written for us. Um, we get to, we get to um, learn about you who you are, what you've done, and what that means for every single area of our life. I know that your desire is not to live a compartmentalized life, but to live a fully integrated life where we get to live life abundantly. So that's my prayer. My prayer is that this morning you would help us. Would you start kind of even like sowing seeds of us um, as we engage together in your word to live abundant lives of enjoying you, of obeying you, of operating like you. And my desire really is to honor my friends in this room. So would you, um, would you please use me? Would you fill me, Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't want to say anything that you don't want said. So I pray that you would guard my, mar- my mouth, my mind, and that you would love us through your scriptures. In your holy name, Jesus, amen. Okay, uh, really quickly before I jump in, uh, just kind of some slight background on the text. There's 21 chapters total in the Gospel of John, okay? And like structure-wise, if... Um, if John was like a movie, have you ever seen a movie where uh, like the movie ends, the credits roll, but then they show more? You know what I'm talking about? Not like outtakes, but like the movie ends, the credits roll, and then there's more going on during the credits and you maybe you got up out of your seat at the movie theater and you're like, oh crap, there's more. I'm gonna hang out at the side. You know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this in movies where stuff happens after the credits or during the credits? Okay, basically, that's kind of what's happening here in John, Okay. If John was a movie, the credits would roll right after chapter 20, okay? And then chapter 21 would actually happen during the credits. So there's a little bit more. It's supplemented in there, but the credits would roll at the end of chapter 20, and then 21 would happen during the credits, okay? So you might be asking yourself, why are we starting at the end? We're actually going to do something unique here, okay? We're going to start. We're going to kick this series off. We're going to begin in the end, Okay? just kind of like some movies. So what we're going to do is we're going to actually read the final two verses of chapter 20, 
and then the final two verses of chapter 21. Okay, so go ahead and flip to John chapter 20. Hopefully you're there by now. I'm going to take a swig of water, and we're going to get rolling. <clears throat> okay, so we're going to do John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Keep in mind, this is at the end. So this is after a plethora of John describing what Jesus has done, okay? He says, there's way more than this, but this is what I've laid out for you, okay? Verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Okay, flip over, should be probably one more page, to John chapter 21. And we're going to read verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So John is going to give us this picture of the life of Jesus, but it's not going to be his life in its entirety, okay? <clears throat> so for the rest of my time this morning, we're going to kind of go through three things, okay? We're going to go through the background on John's gospel. I'll try to do some kind of background academic stuff. I'll do that quickly. And then the two other things are we're going to go, why are we even going through this? And how is it going to be helpful? Okay? So background, why are we going through this? And how is it going to be helpful? Let's jump in. Okay, obviously, this gospel is named after who? John, yes, very good. So John, John's the apostle, okay? He is, he is a famous Christian. Uh, if you think like Billy Graham is famous, he's got nothing on the apostle John. Uh, the apostle John, he was one of the original 12 disciples that lived life with Jesus, okay? That Jesus called to himself and said, follow me, I'm gonna take you under my wing. So John spent three years with Jesus, Morning, noon, and night. Okay, something like, uh, I want to say it's something like six or 8,000 hours minimum or something nuts that some scholar did the, the, the math. He spent a lot of time with Jesus, okay? And not only that, but John was Jesus' closest friend, okay? Now, all throughout the, the Gospel of John, as you'll see, it describes John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So other than like God the Father, Jesus was probably closer to John than anybody else. Okay, so this dude's experience, his, his perspective is incredibly valuable if we want to know more about Jesus. Okay, he's probably the leading expert, arguably, on Jesus in the flesh. Okay? All right, let's talk about the what. So we're going to kind of go through, you know, the who, the what, the when, the where. Uh, the what, uh, it's a gospel, okay? Gospel means good news. It's literally what it means, good news. So what this is, is it's a declaration. It's, it's a written document. It's a declaration of good news. And what do you do with news? You, you report news, I mean, yeah, for nowadays, newspapers are dying, but like you, the news is reported on the television. The news is reported on blogs. The news is reported um, straight to your phone. But news is something that's reported, okay? So, and this is like elementary, I know, but track with me. The gospel of John is the declaration of the good news about Jesus 
according to John. He put his name on it, okay? Now, those of you guys who have been to Sunday school, you know the way the Bible's laid out. There's four gospel accounts, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of those, it's, it's the gospel according to Matthew. It's the gospel according to, uh, <clears throat> to Mark. It's the gospel according to Luke and the gospel according to John that we're going to be um, in, in this series. Now, as far as when these gospel accounts were written, uh, the gospel of John was written last. So the other three were written before John, okay? And John didn't write this gospel account to like supersede the others, Okay, he wasn't like trying to make a better gospel. He wasn't, um, he wasn't trying to supersede it. He wasn't even really trying to correct them. What he was doing, um, <clears throat> he was doing, he was trying to supplement the other gospels. Okay, so to give the reader an even, like, even greater understanding of Jesus, so more depth, more clarity, that kind of thing, okay? And if you're anything like me, you, you've probably spent a little bit of time in the Bible, and I've often heard people describe the gospel accounts as like biographies of Jesus. And, and hear me say this, that's fine, but the gospel accounts, they actually, yeah, they, they, they give us a lot of information about Jesus, but they're not biographies because they're gospels, that they're good news declared, okay? Their purpose isn't simply to give us information about Jesus, I mean, we just read it. John's very clear on what the purpose of his gospel is. Look back on, in chapter 20 and verse 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Christ means Savior, Messiah, the Son of God, and that, my, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's very clear on what his purpose of his document is. You see, I, a biography would simply just include what someone says, which is valuable. It's good. But the wonderful thing about John's gospel is that it tells us not only what Jesus said, but what he meant. There's depth here. And because of this, I mean, many biblical scholars claim that John's gospel is the most beautiful of the four. I'll read you a quote really quickly by the famous theologian William Barclay says this. He wrote this epic commentary on the Gospel of John. He says this. He says, quote, when we read this gospel, let us remember that we are reading the gospel which all, of all the gospels is most the work of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us of the things which Jesus meant, speaking through the mind and memory of John the Apostle. So, of all of the accounts of Jesus, there is something unique and special about John's gospel. Okay, quickly, what else? You gotta understand something else. John's gospel was written at the time under very unique circumstances from when the other gospel accounts were written, okay? Uh, the most notable one, I'll share this, just this one thing with you quickly. The most notable was the rise of like different heresies, okay? So um, what a heresy is is basically just false teaching, and one of the major heresies that was going around at the time was, was the Gnostic heresies, okay? And what these heresies did was they, uh, the Gnostic heresies, basically what they did was they attacked two things. They attacked Jesus' divinity and Jesus' humanity, okay? So when I say they attacked Jesus' divinity, basically they said that, yeah, Jesus was great and all, but he wasn't God. Yeah, he was a good teacher, he was a prophet, but he wasn't God, 
This still happens today. I have really close friends that think Jesus is a nice guy. They think he's a smart teacher. Maybe even that he was prophetic, but they would say, no, he's not God. Okay, so it's still kind of prevalent today. I mean, um, Islam would fall into this category. <clears throat> Jesus is all over the Quran. Um, they, they say that he's a prophet, but he's not God. You tracking with this idea? Give me a nod. Okay. So, uh, the other thing. <clears throat> uh, they, this heresy would have denied the Trinity. So, the Trinity is this beautiful mystery that's the core, at the core of the Christian faith, that there's one God made up of three persons, so that literally God is a community of three persons, okay? Um, Jehovah Witness is probably the most well-known example of this today, uh, that would deny the Trinity. And we'll cover more on the Trinity next week, so if you have questions about it, yes, it's mysterious, but it is a core principle of the, of the Christian faith. We're going to talk more about that next week, so I'd invite you to come back for that. And like I said, really quick, uh, this heresy, these Gnostic heresies, they also attack Jesus' humanity. As in, he wasn't really a man. Yeah, he was God, he was divine, but he wasn't a man. He had like, he didn't have all the human limitations. He wasn't subject to being, to being, uh, to facing every temptation that like I would be faced with. He had this unique, he was divine, but he was kind of like this mystic thing, okay? Here's the reason why that's such a big deal. It's a big deal because if Jesus wasn't fully man, then he's not an adequate substitute to atone for the sins of mankind. He's not an adequate substitute to be in my place because he ha- he, he's under different conditions than I'm under, okay? Okay, let's talk about the win. Uh, somewhere between AD, like 85 and 95, so right in there, the document was written. And keep something in mind. It's so easy to kind of live up in the clouds when we read the Bible. I'm like, cool, we have this book, and it's like kind of like history, but it's kind of story. And like, this is a real historical document. It's real. You can disagree with it. That's totally, that's, I mean, that's fine. It's your prerogative, but like, it's real. We have this priceless, priceless document written about Jesus by Jesus' closest friend. Like, I mean, regardless of what you think about Jesus, he made outlandish claims. He said he was God, and he said, follow him, and there's no other way than through him. So he's either a great teacher, yes, but if you, you can't just walk away and say he's just a great teacher because he makes these outlandish claims like he's God. So he's either crazy or what he said was true. Like, there's this, there's this, there's this dichotomy, there's this, this balance, but we have this priceless document written about Jesus by his best friend that's been, that's been preserved by the church, by the followers of Jesus, for like 2,000 years. The document, the same gospel of John that's in your Bible, whatever translation you read, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever translation you read, is the same gospel that, that, was, that was preserved by the church and has been for 2,000 years. It's really, really valuable. It's really, really priceless. Where was it written? It was written in the city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, real place, inhabited by real Christians 2,000 years ago. Okay, and you can picture this like John was an older man. He was at the twilight of his life when this book was published, when this gospel account, this document was published. So you can picture like the church in Ephesus, right? Like the younger leaders like John, like you walked with Jesus. You, like you know what his, his actual voice sounds like. You know, like the, you know the hint of his BO. Like you know way more about him than anybody else knows about him. Like tell us, tell us stories, man. 
So you can see that the church at Ephesus, they were like, they were, they were spurring John on to pen this document because they wanted to know more about Jesus, about their Savior, about their Messiah. I'm, I'm, I'm named after my grandfather, my dad's dad, okay? He was Thomas Dean. I'm Thomas Donovan. <clears throat> so I was named after him, but here's the thing. I, I never met him. He, he died before I was born, uh, and those of you guys that were with us last Sunday, gosh, it really was such a special day, man. It was crazy. I felt like God was doing something really unique. It was kind of like a, kind of felt like a, a like a wedding or like a birth kind of mixed together. Um, there were so many different relationships that has loved us and cared for us as a church. Like, it's just crazy. It was such a beautiful day. Um, and it was interesting. I talk, we don't mind if I share this. Uh, I was talking w- with my dad afterwards, and he goes, um, that was Grandpa Tom's birthday. And I was like, oh, that's so cool, you know? And then he said something. I, it gets me choked up every time, and I don't really know why. But he said, um, he would have been so proud. And I remember, like as a kid growing up, asking my dad, hey, what was Grandpa Tom like? Like, tell me stories about him. And he would tell me stories. And I, and I really feel like through my dad, I got to learn about him. That's what's happening here in the Gospel of John, okay? It's a spiritual father telling his spiritual kids about Jesus, all about Jesus, and not just so that they would know things about him, but so that they would believe. Okay, let's talk about the second thing. Why are we even going through this? Why does it matter? Why are we going through this? Now, again, the purpose of John's Gospel, as he clearly states in verse 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, as, as quickly as I can, I want to show you how what you believe has a massive impact on how you experience life. Okay? <clears throat> so, when the Bible speaks of belief, it's, it's different than what I believe most people think of. Okay, when the Bible talks about belief, I think it's different than what most people think of. I think most people, when they think of belief, they think of it as something, it's like just acknowledging that something is true, right? I believe in fill in the blank. I acknowledge that something is true. And of course, like, yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it, okay? But here's the thing. Belief is far more than acknowledging that something is true or real. Because belief involves confidence and trust. And here's the thing. True belief actually informs what you do, not just what you know. True belief, it influences your behavior. Okay, let me show you. Have you guys, uh, I feel like most of us would know about the Titanic, right? The ship, raise your hand if you know about the Titanic. I just want to make sure I don't have to start too far in the beginning and waste time. So maybe you've seen the movie, okay? <clears throat> Leo's in it, like it's you know, a big, huge Hollywood movie. So you guys know about the story about the Titanic. It's this, it's this unsinkable ship. Literally branded that way, people, the, the operators thought of it as the unsinkable ship, and then you know the story, iceberg right ahead, they plow into an iceberg, it rips open the bottom of the ship, and that thing goes all the way to the bottom of the ocean. And half of the people on board, they don't make it. It's this tragic historical event. Okay, 
Now, do you know why half the people on board died? Have you guys, have you guys read this or know the story about the lifeboats? Okay, so this, this ship had the capacity to hold 64 lifeboats, but they only put 20 lifeboats on board. And those 20, lifebo- those 20 lifeboats, they only could hold half of the people on board. Okay, so let's say they had doubled that into 40, right? do the math. If they had 40, they would have enough for every person on board and they'd still have room for a bunch more lifeboats, right? It's like 24 more. <clears throat> they chose to put 20 lifeboats on there. Do you know why they chose to only put 24, or 20 lifeboats on there instead of 64? Aesthetics. Yes, Brandon. They literally thought it looked nicer with, with 20 lifeboats on there. And not only did they do it, they made the choice to do it so they would look cooler, but they also did it because they wanted to have more unobstructed views from the deck. So, here's what's crazy too, is the operators, they knew, they knew that the 20 lifeboats was only enough for half the people on board. So why on earth would they set sail with only 20 instead of 64? Because they believed that the ship was unsinkable. If the ship's unsinkable, why not just ditch like 40 of the lifeboats so that the ship looks more impressive, so that there's better views? Friends, what you believe influences your behavior. And your behavior reveals what you actually believe. Not simply what you acknowledge to be true, but what you actually trust in. The Bible calls this faith. So in this case, the operators of the Titanic, they put their trust in the ship itself. And unfortunately, it was the wrong move. Now, it's really important that we understand what belief is and what faith is and how they relate to each other. Okay, if we want to follow Jesus, we need to know what belief is, what faith is, and how they relate to each other, okay? And I believe that faith is hugely misunderstood, even in the church, Like, I hear people say things all the time, like, you just got to have more faith, man. Like, you need more faith. George Michael, right? Just got to have faith. (laughs) Give me more faith. But here's the thing, guys. It's not the amount of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. It's what your faith is in that counts. Okay, another example for you. Um, let's see, I want to pick on somebody, this will be fun. Um, Todd. <clears throat> let's say me and Todd are going to go on a trip someplace far away. Where are we going to go? Just anywhere. Anywhere we have to fly to. That, come on, man. Anywhere in the world. In the world. Ireland, perfect. Good choice, Todd. That's why I knew I was, yeah, Okay. So me and Todd, we're going to go to Ireland, okay? We're going to go, you know, check out everything. There's like Game of Thrones tours there. I've been to Ireland twice. It's an incredible place, okay? It's green. It's beautiful. Um, Guinness on tap is very different in Ireland. It's glorious there. It's not so good here. So me and Todd, we're going to go to Ireland, okay? So we like, we're pumped. We pack our bags. We head to the airport. We are excited. We get on the plane. We, we stow our bag. We're sitting down. We're like, okay, in a short 11 hours, we're going to be in Ireland, okay? So what we do <clears throat> is we start to kind of get settled in on our flight. 
Like they bring us a meal, we eat our meal, and then it's about time to go to sleep. So we're just kind of sitting there chilling and all of a sudden, you know, we're cruising at 30,000 feet. All of a sudden, both of the engines just explode. And we're like, oh crap. And then what starts to happen is the plane starts to do this like, oh, descent. And you can feel it in your stomach. And in that moment, what was then a, a noisy flight with the, with the airplane motors going is quiet and all you hear is kind of that drift and that wind. And people around us start panicking. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of afraid too. I'm like, what are we going to do, Todd? And then all of a sudden, Todd's gone. Dude, where did Todd go? All these people are freaking out. We're not going to make it. I'm praying. And Todd goes, Todd comes back and he goes, he has two parachutes. And he's like, put this on. It'll save us. And I'm like, Todd, thank you so much, bro. Like, what would I do without you? Thank you, but no thank you. I know this plane's going down and that parachute's cool and all, but I packed a can of Red Bull because Red Bull gives you wings. (laughs) And I'm going to down this thing so fast, and I'm going to be fine. I don't know if everybody else in the plane has a can of Red Bull, but I do, so I think I'm good. Take, you know, go ahead and test your luck with your parachute, bro. But I have Red Bull. Now listen, <clears throat> I can have a ton of faith. Like I can have as much faith as I'm possible of mustering up. I can have so much faith in that can of Red Bull. You think that thing's going to save me? Absolutely not. Now, the parachute, on the other hand, what if Todd smacks the Red Bull out of my hand and goes, put this on, stupid? And I'm like, I, dude, I don't have any faith in this. He's like, just put it on. So I'm like, fine, okay, maybe it'll work. And I just have a little bit of faith. Like just, like maybe even faith the side of, of a mustard seed. But I put that little tiny faith in that parachute, I put it on. What do you think my chances are of surviving that plane crash? Yeah. Because it's not the amount of faith that you have. It's the object of your faith that matters. Are you tracking with this idea? Okay. So, your true beliefs, they influence your behavior. And your behavior reveals what you actually believe and what you trust in. You can't hide, man. The stuff that you do, everybody around you can go, oh, I know what that guy believes. I'll explain some more later, okay? <clears throat> so here's the thing. Here's what I want you to, you to get. I know I'm going long here, but you guys are stuck with me. Listen, your behavior, all of it, everything is influenced by what you believe. How many of you guys have a smartphone? Like everybody in the room, yeah. <clears throat> okay, a smartphone. That smartphone is, is, is hardware, okay? It's, it's, it's pieces of components put together. It's hardware, right? What that phone does is determined by the software that's on that, hard, that's on that hardware. By like, like I, have a, I have an iPhone. It's um, iOS is what the software is called, okay? That, what that hardware actually does is determined by the software, okay? <clears throat> What you believe is the software of your life, okay? In the same way that that what your smartphone does is influenced by its software, every single thing that you do is based on what you are believing in that moment. Everything. What you believe in each moment is incredibly important, guys. 
And here's the thing. Did you know every single sin, every sin, that, every sin you've ever committed, every sin, every sin that you could think of, every single one of them is a result of believing a lie about God. This is where we're going to get into the final point here, how this series will be helpful. Um, I'm going to show you a book really quick. It's in my bag here. I'm going to try not, I'm going to turn this off for just a second so I don't feed back, okay? I want to read you a quote from this book. Um, it's called You Can Change. Um, I don't, I'm not like a huge, I want to teach out of the scriptures, but I'll, I'll supplement my reading and stuff. This book's incredible. Um, there's a bunch of books on the church's website that are just recommended reading if you want to grow spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, this book's fantastic. Okay, it's written by this guy, Tim Chester. I have a quote from, from this book, okay, and I want to read it to you. Uh, I have it written down. It's easier to read. Uh, regarding the idea that every sin that we commit is a result of believing a lie about God, Tim Chester says this. It should be up there. Quote, we sin because we believe the lie that we are better off without God, that his rule is oppressive, that we will be free without him, that sin offers more than God. And often we can identify specific lies behind specific sinful acts and emotions. Listen to this. I may envy, steal, or be anxious about money because I believe the lie that consumer goods give meaning to my life or because I believe that God doesn't care about me. I may commit adultery or get depressed about my singleness because I believe the lie that intimacy with another person will give me more than God can give me. Friends, what you believe influences your behavior. It's the software of your life. Guys, this is why the gospel is such incredible good news. Because it has the power to totally rewrite your software. And if your software gets rewritten, if you actually believe the gospel, if you actually believe that, that you are so bad that God himself had to die for you, but you're so loved that he was willing and glad to do it, if you believe that truth, that's the gospel. If you believe the gospel, it has the power to totally transform you. Not just what you know, but what you do. It has the power to change you from living a self-centered life I mean, think about this, guys. All of the brokenness that you can think of in your entire life, all the brokenness on the planet, it's all because of, of it's a result of, of sinfulness. It's a result of selfishness. Okay, the, the gospel has the power to transform you from living a self-centered life to living a life centered on God and others. And just take a moment, like imagine what the world would be like. Imagine what the world would be like if all people, all places, everywhere, prioritized God and others over themselves. Think about the implications of that. Poverty, gone. Racism, gone. War, gone. Violence, gone. Sexual assault, gone. Sexism, classism, gone. That's incredible. That sounds so good to me. Problem is, is I'm just as selfish as everybody else. And I believe lies about God pretty much every day, and my behavior demonstrates that. 
I need the gospel. You need the gospel. But think about how beautiful would that be? Like maybe God actually does know what's best for human flourishing. So, why are we beginning a series in the gospel of John? Because the purpose of John's gospel is to direct your belief away from the lies and towards Jesus. So that you trust in the parachute and not the Red Bull. And how's it going to be helpful? Our kind of final question here. John's gospel provides us with the truth about Jesus. And that truth, the gospel, it's the power to transform us and the world around us. That's what John means when he says that by believing you may have life in his name, that's what he's talking about. The Greek word there for life, it was originally written in Greek. The Greek word there for life is the word zoe, okay? And it really what it means is to be truly alive. Like it refers to health and happiness and exuberance and energy and vitality. It's referring to life the way that it was meant to be lived. Like life without sin, without selfishness, without brokenness. That by believing in Jesus, you may have life in his name. When it says life in his name, like his name isn't referring just to what people called him. Like I'm, I'm Tom, people call me that, right? It's not really what the name is describing. When, when, the, the, the name, when the, when the Bible speaks of the name, it describes who a person is. Like who they are, their attributes, their character. We're gonna get more into the attributes and the character of Jesus in the weeks to come, but I'm gonna close with this. I'll call the band up. And let me just say this quickly. Like, each day, every day, the goal for the Christian is to maintain belief in the gospel, to maintain belief in the truths about God, not the lies about God. Are you tracking with this idea? That's the goal. That's the everyday goal of the Christian. Hear me say this. Maintaining belief in the gospel is practically impossible when you're in isolation. When you are by yourself, maintaining belief in the gospel is pretty much impossible. If you want to maintain belief in the truths about who God is, you desperately, like me, you need community. Like you have to have it. You need people around you who actually know you. Who know what you struggle with. Like you need voices of truth that can echo the truths of the gospel. Like, who, you need voices of truth who know the specific lies that you are tempted to believe. And here's the thing, guys. There are plenty of deceptive voices out there. So many of them. And they're coming at you from everywhere. Like, I would, say, I would say the majority of pastoral counseling in some way, shape, or form has to do with people who are taking, who are being informed by culture, um, sorry, who are having their worth be informed by culture. Okay? Culture will tell you that your worth is determined by how you look. Not just how you look, but how you look compared to other people. 
culture will tell you that your worth is determined by how much money you have, by what you do for a living, by what you drive, by who you know, by how many followers you have. I love the gospel because the gospel says that's not true. The gospel says that's a lie. But how many of us get deceived by those things on the regular? The gospel says it's a lie. The gospel says that your worth is determined by God. Like that he has, he's the highest authority, man. That his opinion trumps all other opinions, even yours. Even what you think about you. He's the authority. His opinion trumps yours. And even though at times you and I, we reject him, even though at times our behavior reveals that we don't really trust him, his patient and his faithful love and grace for us remains. Friends, this series is designed to help us maintain belief in the truth of the gospel to experience the abundant life of enjoying Jesus and to do it together because you can't do it alone. You don't see one example in the scriptures of that. You don't. So that's the preview to the movie. And I really do think that this series, the Gospel of John, guys, is gonna be a huge blessing for each of us. I've been praying over this, honestly, for months. And I really do believe that God is going to bless you. He's going to bless me. He's going to bless we through this. So will you stand if you're able? I want to pray for us. Father, we say thank you for the ways that you communicate truth to us. Thank you for Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for scripture. Thank you that it is breathed by you, Holy Spirit, so that we can be not just informed, but that we can believe. Believe in the truth and not the lie that's coming at us from every angle. Life, oh, life really is a battle. So I pray, Lord, that you would use this, this series to help each of us see Jesus more clearly and to believe the gospel more deeply. I, I, really feel, I really feel led to pray for the men in the room. I feel like there are men in this room who are discontent. I, I feel like there are men in this room, like your, your heart, it longs for something more. Like it, it longs for more out of life. Um, like deep down, Deep down, uh, you actually like the thrill of battle, even if you might not think you do. Uh, like, like even if it's a project at work or at home or, or competition or like fitness or being creative or, or even like video games I get, like even video games, like all of it involves a, a battle. Like there's a conflict involved that you actually feel an inward desire to engage in because there's this yearning, like there's this yearning in you to overcome. And all of that, it it points to this deeper desire 
And I, I really feel, I really feel like God is saying to some of you, like I, I, actually I think he's inviting you into the real battle. Like the battle you were actually made for. But this battle, this battle's different because the weapons used in this battle, they're not your talent, they're not your ability, they're not your skill. The weapons that God is calling you to battle with is love. Like it's living for the benefit of others. It's sacrificial, it's generous. It's actually a battle to maintain love. Like even, even when what's coming at you is unloving or sinful or wrong, it's a battle to maintain love, to fight with love. And I feel like God is calling some of you men to actually like rise up and not to get cliche and weird, but I really feel like this is God saying this. Like, I feel like he's calling you to rise up and actually be a soldier who battles with love. Those are real bullets. Like to create a safe environment where our ladies, our kids, they can thrive. So what I want to do, sorry, I went off the cuff here, guys. I feel like it's important. I want to, ladies, will you just join me in praying for our men right now? I want to pray for you guys. Uh, guys, if you're in the room, I'm going to ask you just as a sign of faith, if you want, if, if, if this is something that God's stirring in your heart, I'm going to ask you to just kind of hold your hands out in a posture of receiving. There's nothing superly spiritual about it. It's just um, an act of trusting in God that he's actually going to give you something. So I want to pray for you. Uh, Father, I pray that, that, that for each man in this room, myself included, um, that we wouldn't be men who, who battle with like opinion or who battle with like our words or our, our, our physical strength or our money or our influence or our title. I pray that we would be men who battle with love. And just that, even that phrase battle, like it indicates that there's something coming at us and what's coming at us is the brokenness and the sin of the world. But I pray, Lord, that we would be men who respond, to, who respond to the way that you are by being the way that you are. That we would fight the battle the way Jesus fought the battle by laying his life down. I pray that over every single man in this room. I know it's Mother's Day, but I think the best gift that we could give any of these women is to be men of integrity and character. Men who carry the integrity and character of Jesus into our workplaces, into our homes, into our relationships. I pray that we would be soldiers in God's army and his kingdom is a, is a kingdom of love. So I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see that what we believe, it influences our behavior. So God, would you just give us faith to trust you more than we trust other things? I'm so grateful for you, Jesus. I'm grateful for your grace. I'm grateful for the ways that you care for us. And I pray a special blessing over these men that you give them boldness and courage you'd give me boldness and courage to not live in the way that the culture says is healthy to, will, to live, but to live in a way that Jesus modeled. Sacrifice, gentleness, self-control, care, living for the benefit of others, not using people to benefit my situation. Would you change us, God? Would you transform us with the gospel, with the good news? Would you help us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and that we would have life in his name? I love you, God, and I pray these things in your holy name. Amen.